I'm going to be real with you. Identity theft is on the rise, and you do not want to wake up one morning and discover that your bank account has been emptied or you're overdue on credit cards you never even applied for. We talk about this often on the podcast, but you don't realize how much of your information is available to scammers on the internet and how susceptible you and your family are to identity theft and fraud. I know it's scary, but now you can get your data removed with Delete Me. That's why I personally choose Delete Me. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web and in the process helps prevent potential ID theft, doxing, and phishing scams. I just started using Delete Me and I got my regular personalized privacy report. <laughs> I was shocked what they found and removed. It was pages of information about me that I did not want online. Here's how it works. You sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. I cannot tell you how relieved I felt to have Delete Me. And you know, it's also a great service for your parents or grandparents to help protect them from identity theft. Delete Me is not just a one time service, Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you do not want on the internet. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special price for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use promo code etm at checkout. The only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and enter code etm at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E.com slash ETM. Go to joindeleteme.com slash ETM and use code ETM for 20% off. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. <laughs> I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Nerdwallet finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Hey, I'm Shauna Compte-Game. This is Millennial Money. And today we're talking to snap or not to snap. Right, so unless you were living underground on Friday, you probably have heard about Snapchat's recent IPO. And there's been a lot of talk about Snapchat because they're not a profitable company, right? And their road to profitability is 
is not as clear as maybe it was for Facebook. And Facebook wasn't actually profitable when they launched their IPO, but they were closer to be profitable. And I think that's something that a lot of the analysts are kind of concerned about, about Snapchat is, you know, what is the viability for Snapchat? Um, In fact, Facebook actually tried to buy Snapchat and Snapchat was like, no, 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 we want to stay independent. So Facebook, who owns Instagram, then decided to come out with the Insta stories, right? And I don't know whether you like or don't like Snapchat. I mean, for me, it's just kind of like another social media thing. I love Instagram and I don't do a whole lot of the Insta stories, but I know that I need to do more of that because I think that's kind of a cool thing. I mean, it's a way to for me, it's a way to share, you know, our trips and the different things that we do, the different interviews that we have with people, but also money tips in in a really cool way and not have to go to like another platform. And um, so, but I know that Snapchat is huge, right? It's huge, especially if you're just out of college and young 20s, you know, Snapchat is kind of the thing, the place where you are and you check Snapchat all the time. So, I was really interested to do this podcast about the Snapchat IPO because I think, you know, um, while this is not kind of an economics podcast and while we're not going to like dive deep into stock analysis, I think it's interesting to talk about, you know, the IPO and also sort of the frenzy that happens around these different IPOs, you know, that happened with Facebook and, you know, back when with Apple and Google. And, you know, I mean, I certainly would have loved to have owned early shares of Apple or Google. Um, I'd probably be sitting much prettier now. We all would be, right, if we did that. But hindsight is always 50-50. So I think that, you know, it's interesting anytime something like this, especially like a a technology, a, a social technology that we hear about all the time, that maybe we use all the time, like we inherently think, well, they've got to be profitable. This has to be a good investment. And, you know, it is and it isn't. It, you know, and you could say that about any any IPO, right? Um, an, an IPO really is, it's, a, it's what's called an a initial public offering. And it's a process where a, a privately held company becomes publicly traded on the stock market. And um, it's the IPO is the initial sale of its stock. So Snap actually soared as much as 45% when it opened for trading uh, at $24 on Thursday, $24 a share, right? Uh, so generally, over the first like six months a company is traded on the stock market, its price really bounces all over the place. So I think, you know, the moral is that patience is really required when you're thinking about IPO investing. And a lot of professionals actually advise waiting about six months for the stock to kind of settle into the market before, you know, buying shares of, of Snap or whoever it may be. Um, it's, it's likely best not to day trade on an IPO within the first six months because, because of this wild price fluctuation. And, you know, there's a lot of company news that comes out early when a company is doing IPO, right? You're going to see Snap uh, on the news a lot, and they're going to be talking about the good and the not so good. And so that, you know, is always kind of wavering the price. Um, I, I don't know if you've heard the story, but there's actually a a school that invested um, some money, I believe it was $15,000 in Snapchat pre-IPO. So as Snap was kind of, um, you know, trying to raise money before they got to this IPO phase. And on, you know, Thursday when the IPO came out, um, I think they made something like 23 or $24 million off that initial investment. So 
I mean, in a situation like that, um, that's not a bad day, right? And not all of us have the luxury to get on board um, investing in a company pre-IPO. If, if you do, then... Um, you know, usually you can have some sort of uh, good return. Usually there's some sort of terms too of how long you have to wait to actually sell that stock. Because, you know, if, if I woke up on Thursday and I turned 15,000 into like 23, 24 million, I mean, my, my, my like gut inclination would be, okay, let's sell this right now. Like give me my $24 million before I lose any of it. Right. Um, but usually there's some sort of parameters around that. You know, you can't just just sell it that day. Um, They want to keep the stock price really high. So actually, it is the highest IPO since Facebook. And the issue is, is that Snapchat actually doesn't make any money right now, nor do they have a real true revenue model. You know, like I said, Facebook was close to revenue generation when they went public, but they actually weren't really making money. And you know, sure, you're, sure they make advertising revenue, right? And and Snap has a lot of advertising revenue, but it's not a real revenue generating um, model that a lot of the companies have. And so I think that you know a lot of times when Facebook or Snap or anything like that goes to the IPO, like I said, there's like this like frenzy, like you you feel like you have to own it or or you're left out, right? When sometimes it's better to just kind of wait a little bit and like see where um, it all shakes out. See how the cookie crumbles, right? You got to know how the cookie crumbles. Uh, So it's $17 a share, which is the opening price on Thursday when Snap hit the market. Uh, Snap would have an initial public market capitalization of $19.7 billion based on the shares. Um, but the opening price of $24 actually gave it a public market cap of $27.8 billion. I mean, that's a $27.8 billion. And, you know, a lot of this reasoning behind the value of Snap, whether it's a good value, a worthy value or not, is that it services about 158 million daily users at the end of 2016. And about this is this is incredible to me. Just think about this: an average of two point five billion snaps are created on Snapchat every single day. I mean, that is that is a lot of snaps all around the world. So, you know, I think what what Snapchat is saying, like, hey, we've got you know these one hundred fifty eight million uh, daily users that are creating these two point five billion snaps. I mean, that is worth something. But you know, where my question mark is. But that isn't actually a revenue generating model. And, you know, many would argue that, you know, when Facebook went through the IPO, they didn't have a lot of the features, a lot of the revenue generating features that they have now, right? That took some time for them to develop that. So, you know, we'll see. Um, Snap did report growing revenues, but also increasing losses. So Snap recorded four. $04.5 million, $404.5 million in revenue in 2016. That's decent, right? Compared with $58.7 million in 2015. So obviously their revenue was growing. However, their net losses grew to $514.6 million in 2016, right? So they lost like, you know, close to $100 million. compared with a net loss of $372.9 million in 2015. Um, This is very um, common language to many tech startups. And Snap actually 
warned, it actually warned the public and the investors that it, quote, may never achieve or maintain profitability. I mean, so if you just think about that right there, I mean, the whole reason that you buy stocks, right, the whole reason that you invest in companies is because you hope or you believe or you know that they are profitable companies, right, that they are making money. Um, That is what increases their share price. And so the fact that Snap came out and said, hey, you know, we may just we may just never make money, but buy our stock anyway. I mean, that's just such a really interesting study on human nature, I think. Um, and the majority of Snap's revenue actually in 2016, this is not surprising, 98% of it came from advertising. And you guys have all seen uh, Evan Spiegel, who is the CEO, young, very young CEO, And he actually had a salary of $503,000 in 2016 with a million-dollar bonus and all his other comp, which totaled to about $2.4 million. So he made about $2.4 million. The company lost about $100 million. You do the math, right? Interesting. Um, So under his offer letter, he will reduce his salary to $1 as of the effective date of the registration settlement with a cash bonus of $1 million. He also received restricted stock units representing 3% of outstanding capital stock in quarterly installments for three years, beginning in the third quarter after the offering, right? So he's basically saying that once the stock went to the market, he was reducing his salary. Oh, but he's still going to get a cash bonus of a million bucks plus a heck of a lot of stock. Um, So he's, I mean, he's he's worth a lot of money right now is basically how that all works. how that all shakes out. And so I didn't know a lot of the history behind Snapchat. And I thought this was really interesting. So they started in 2011 as something called Peekaboo. And it was created by three frat brothers at Stanford, uh, Reggie Brown, Bobby Murphy, and even, even, what do I want to call him? Even, uh, Evan Spiegel, who is now the Snap's chief executive. And this app that was later renamed to Snap, it was not an overnight sensation like the Facebook at Harvard. It really took time to be uh, discovered by people, and it actually started out as a way for high school girls to use the app to send, you know, um, highly suggestive message on pictures of themselves. Um, most likely not wearing any clothes to people that would disappear in 24 hours, right? Um, I guess the logic behind that makes sense because if I'm going to post something naked of myself, which I would never do, and any of you listening should never do because let me just tell you, nothing dies. I don't even trust Snapchat, right? I don't trust that it dies after 24 hours, right? I know there are servers. I know all the information is shared and kept and disseminated. Um, I just... There's just something about it. I'm telling you, I know like when you're in your early 20s, like you aren't thinking about these things, but um, you know, I just, I don't ever want my phone hacked. I don't ever want stuff like that about me out on the internet. I don't ever want like a potential person that I do a deal with to be able to see any of that stuff. I don't trust it. But I guess, look, right, if you're like, you know, 16, 17, 18, are you thinking about that? Probably not, right? You're not thinking about a job. You're not thinking about, you know, having to sit across from someone who has done some digging on the internet of you and has seen suggestive things. I'm just saying it just does not sound like something that you should be doing. Okay, but I digress. Um, So 
Evan, he's going to also need to really prove his ability to lead Snapchat. And that is another big question mark. You know, can he, I believe he's 26 years old, can he actually lead this company? And I thought this was interesting that a lot of his um, supporters actually compare him to Steve Jobs because he's a creative perfectionist and he has this real kind of like vision for the products. Obviously, since 2011, he's taken what was then Peekaboo into Snapchat. And, you know, now we all talk about snapping each other, right? So it's become almost part of the language like Facebook. Um, but they also have said that there's a lot of negative ways that he reminds a lot of people of Steve Jobs. He's very secretive. Um, he really controls information. And even people that are at the top of the board and top executives don't know all of the details of Snapchat's strategy and plans. And, you know, those are things that uh, Evan keeps really close knit. And I think that worries a lot of people because... You know, the whole idea of having a board, the whole idea of having executives is that it's a collaborative uh, experience. And Evan's also known to be very off limits to a lot of employees. Um, I actually know an employee that that used to work there who has attested. Um, I will not, of course, reveal any names, but that this is true, that, uh, you know, he travels from buildings to buildings um, with security and that, you know, he's just not accessible. And whether it's just, you know, he's that type of person or whether that is, you know, a a detriment to Snapchat's future, I don't know. I mean, you know, it could just be this is who he is and this is the way he conducts business. And, you know, Snapchat can go on to being, you know, a highly profitable, profitable business. Um, I think the moral really is, though, you know, anytime you're buying a stock, and we've had a lot of people on here from a lot of different companies um, that have apps, that have, uh, you know, lots of different tools to help you invest, and they've all said the same thing over and over and over again, and that is really buy what you know, um, you know, buy those those brands that have been around forever, um, look for quality stocks, look for quality companies. And that's not to say that Snapchat isn't one of them. It's not to say that Facebook isn't. It's not to say that, you know, any of the tech companies aren't those. You know, a lot of them are great. They have amazing growth models. Um, They've been great in a lot of portfolios for people. So, you know, not bemoaning any of that. I'm just saying, you know, perhaps maybe wait past this novelty six months. Um, I did a little kind of like survey on Facebook. I wanted to ask, you know, my friends and people in my network, you know, what, what are you thinking about Snapchat? Are you buying? Are you not? Is it overvalued? Is it not? And I got back a lot of overvalued. Um, I got back a few, you know, I bought in um, on Thursday, promptly sold on Friday, took, you know, a a buck and a half profit each share and called it a day. Um, But I I think a lot of people are just, uh, a lot of people that I actually thought would buy Snapchat early on are just kind of saying, you know, I I just really want to see what happens after six months. Um, See if this really is just hype or if, you know, Evan, if, if Snapchat, if the board, if, you know, everybody there really does have strategy plans for the future, like really does have a revenue model, or if they're just kind of like blowing smoke. And this is just all like a dog and pony show, you know? And, um, I think that was really, that was really interesting, uh, to hear that perspective. And, you know, again, there's nothing wrong with, with buying stock and IPO. There's nothing wrong with taking in a gamble on a tech company, especially something like, 
Snapchat that you use all the time. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But then I think there's also a point where you have to disconnect a little bit from that fury and disconnect a little bit from uh, almost that kind of emotional response. And listen, if you're emotionally investing, that's that's never a good place to be, right? It's just the same thing if you're if you're emotionally buying a house or you're emotionally buying anything, any very large. Uh, purchase, emotions tend to really cloud things. You know, when I, not to, not to digress, but when I help people come up with a plan to buy their first house, you know, I, I do a lot of talking about, you know, these are the things you should be really looking for when you go in to buy a house and you almost have to close your eyes to a lot of things, right? Because paint color doesn't matter. Wallpaper doesn't matter. Um, you know, even carpeting doesn't matter. I mean, there's a lot of like frivolous things that we can really get stuck on, right? And we can emotionally buy a house that isn't structurally sound, that maybe doesn't have a good roof or doesn't have good plumbing or, you know, maybe isn't a good for a plan. I mean, I remember when I bought my first house, um, I remember thinking like, oh, and we can just knock, knock down this wall and that wall and this wall. And then, you know, when the reality set in, when I found out like how much that just cost to just literally knock down a wall, I went, okay, well, maybe not. Maybe just find a house that's a good house that is structurally sound. And maybe I just, you know, change the paint color and the, and the wallpaper, you know, whatever it may be. My point is that like, you know, especially with investing, especially with risky things, you know, try to remove your emotions and um, really understand the the economics behind investing and you know what makes a what makes a company a good buy, what makes a company profitable, and what are the the factors that you should be looking at. But it'll be really interesting to see what happens with Snapchat. I'm really interested to see, you know, over the next 30 days, especially the next six months. Um, I think it would be super fun to do a check-in podcast in six months and just sort of see where Snapchat is at and see whether um, <laughs> whether my intuition was right or maybe not so right. Um, but, you know, there's not there's nothing wrong with uh, that kind of wait-and-see approach and, um I think I think that's that's what a lot of people are kind of echoing. I see that on the news a lot. Is that well, I don't know. You know, Facebook could have uh, snapped up Snap, and uh, we could be looking at you know a whole different uh, a whole different Facebook. Like, did did Evan and the Snapchat folks like were they just kind of greedy and the, you know they wanted to have their day on the stock market? They want to have their time. They wanted they ha- they do have these great strategy plans. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, so anyway, I hope you have enjoyed this podcast about Snapchat. I always think it's fun to talk about these things, even if really there's nothing that we, that we really learn from the podcast. I think it's just, you know, different things to, to think about, to kind of mush around in your brain. And maybe it helps you think up a little bit, a little differently about, uh, about your own stock investing or about your own investment portfolio. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Shauna Game, Instagram at millennial underscore money. And hey, if you did or didn't buy a snap for a particular reason, um, I'd love to know. Head over to the website and um, shoot me a message and let me know what you think.